I'm attorney Barry C. Boykin. And I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. Welcome to another episode of Dynamite Divorce and Other Matters. Well, Barry, I'm very happy to be here at our end of year recording session for 2020. Man, has it been a year already. <laughs> yes. We, uh, we began to develop this podcast, I believe, in January. We uh, made some recordings that we considered almost unlistenable. Then we learned a little bit more about editing, <laughs> and about uh, volume control and pacing. And then we actually went live with our first episode, I think, in uh, our January episode. Uh, and then it was episode two, February 11th. And, on, and then, of course, COVID hit and the whole thing. Some of our episodes we recorded face-to-face. Uh, I remember over the court building, the Daily Center. But uh, by now, we've, we've become veterans of Zoom as you and I look at each other on, on video right now and record remotely. What have you got for our listeners today there, Barry? Kevin, you and I talked about the idea of reviewing with our listeners what happens during a hearing uh, as opposed to a trial. And what's the difference as we start between a trial and a hearing in your perspective? Right, right. Well, my experience, and I've only been a client of an attorney a couple of times there was a something uh, I needed help with, and I was just almost petrified because it was an area of law I wasn't familiar with, and I was trusting my friend, this an attorney who was helping me, uh, to guide me through the system. And fortunately, she knew the players. She had worked in that area of law. She knew some of the lawyers and, and was very familiar with the flow, but I felt like such a fledgling you know, out of the nest and it was such a helpless feeling. And I thought, well, maybe this is how clients feel when confronted with a family law issue. And it's like, well, what is this big building? Uh, this, somebody's wearing a robe and what? They're going to decide my life, my child's future. I think it's very scary. So over the course of this past year, I think we have gone to great lengths to try to help people understand and maybe in a way simplify, but it, it's a very complex system. So today, as you were saying, this idea of what is a hearing. Before we go further, this podcast is no substitute for the specific legal advice you will get by consulting one-on-one with a licensed attorney in your state or country. We hope that before taking any action that might change your life or your financial situation, and before making decisions that might significantly affect your children and the people around you, you do find and meet with a licensed attorney. Now, now on, with, on the with the show. And uh, what is a hearing? Now, I would define a hearing, and I'm asked that question occasionally by clients. Uh, what do you mean hearing? Is this the trial? And I, I usually explain it in perspective is that uh, the hearing is something that happens when we're seeking uh, temporary relief or, uh, or really something that's brief in duration. Uh, what do you think about that definition? All right. Well, the thing is, if you're in court in our circuit court of Cook County, you're going to hear different terms for court appearances, such as status. Sometimes you'll hear the word case management, pretrial conference, hearing, sometimes trial, prove up. That's another one. Uh, did one of those recently. So we're now focusing on this word hearing. And I would say in family law, well, what, what it should be understood that it's not like Perry Mason. You're never going to have a jury in family law matters in Cook County Circuit Court. 
for whatever reason, always going to be what is known in the trade as a bench trial, a bench hearing. So we don't even say that. It's known that it's going to be bench. That means the judge has two roles in the case, the finder of fact and the finder of law. You get into a jury trial, the jury determines the facts, the judge determines the law. That's split where that's fine. But in a bench trial, bench hearing, which they all are here in family court, the judge has dual roles is to determine what are the facts, what really happened, uh, what should be done in a factual sense, and also to apply the law. Because uh, if it's child support, there's a child support law. If it's decision-making, there's allocation and, and other laws that apply. So the judge has a complex role of weaving both the facts and the law into a bundle and coming out with a decision. And we, as attorneys, end up being like a filter. Because, as you know, Barry, people come to us just babbling with, well, then, then this is, my car broke down. And, and then, you know, I, I mean, it's just a mass of stuff. We have to filter it down. What do we think the judge needs to hear to persuade the judge that our client should get what they want? And don't you think there's a lot of filtering involved? We have to really uh, find the, the important stuff and, and not bring the judge just a big salad bowl of stuff. I'd say that there is a degree of filtering that takes place. Uh, I'd say that there's kind of a twofold process. One is really what happened? What is the story? And so I wouldn't presume necessarily that one side's telling the truth and the other side is lying. I would, I would put it the way that one side has one part of the story. The other <laughs> side has the other part of the story. Yes, yes. And our task is kind of put the two halves together. And that does right. that does involve some amount of filtering. That's true. Well, it is a, a little bit uh, strong to say lying. Yes, uh, I guess the problem is that people. It's like the Titanic, and there's not enough lifeboats. I mean, people <laughs> will do or say anything when it's their children involved, or when sums of money are involved. And I guess some people think that the heck with the rules, the heck with the truth, the heck with everything. I need my child back or I need this. And that leads to bad results because if judges, as you know, Barry, if a judge starts to get the sense that they're being misled on small things, they could start to think, well, then I have to question everything this person is saying. So that's why it's important when I try to bring these cases that the, the client understands that we are not going to bend the truth because at every turn, even a small thing, could lead the judge to think, well, if you can't be truthful about this, how can I believe you about this? And that's one thing, right? Well, Kevin, I have to say that the analogy to the Titanic is wonderfully apt to to some divorce proceedings, that it's a disaster in some cases. <laughs> and yes. uh, scrambling for the lifeboats, and uh, I need to get in the lifeboat before the other side does. I don't care if they go down with the ship. <laughs> right. And, and, the, and, the, yeah. and the court system, are, we're like the, the musicians playing the fiddles on the board. while. They're... <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in a sense. Maybe not that right. bad. Uh, well, <laughs> what I found, the funny thing is, by being calm, and I mean sometimes almost stone-faced calm during proceedings. Now, we'll get into this, but of course we're on Zoom. Yeah. 
in our proceedings right now during pandemic time. But I found that sometimes saying less or looking straight into the into the camera and just being calm has has a is a good effect because if the other side is running on and running on and running on, it, the judge can find it very tiring and think, well, okay, back to Mr. Johnson there. What what did you want to say? <laughs> and so yeah. there's an urge people have, and this is very normal. The urge is to, to have an answer for everything. The other side says, well, judge, he kicked the dog the other day. You know, and, 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 no, I didn't. I, I just brushed him with my foot, you know, or whatever. They, they feel like I, I need to say something because they said something. Which I will say judges find very tiring. The give and take over that. And plus, it's not even pertinent. It's a child support case. Who cares about kicking the dog? But people will come out with this stuff and you have a gut feeling. I got to react. I, I mean, that's not right. I didn't kick the dog. And I have actually seen that as a technique by the opposition sometimes to throw in things that don't don't really matter, but are sure to provoke a reaction. And then try to make my client look like they're unhinged or emotionally unstable, <laughs> right? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And that leads me to another aspect of the topic. When is the good time to speak up during a hearing? So there's a hearing and both sides are there. Both sides, let's say, are represented by counsel. And uh, the judge is controlling the proceedings and saying, okay, husband, you go first, wife, you go second, whoever was the petitioner. So for our clients, uh, they want to know their role. When do I speak up? When is it my turn to tell the judge uh, what the problem is? Well, how about this? Maybe our should, listeners should know that there's a classic way that trials are structured, and I guess hearings too. And so the classic way is whoever's going first, usually it's the person who brought the motion or the petitioner in a divorce, and it, the person with their name on the top of the case sometimes, but they go first with what is called their opening statement, their case in chief, they rest. The other side's opening statement, their case in chief, they rest. Closing statement by both, done. So that's a classic structure. And you can get all variations. You could have both sides give their openings, opening statements, where they discuss what they're going to show, discuss the evidence. Then the petitioner, the movement or whatever goes first with their case in chief. By case in chief, I mean they put on their witnesses. Those witnesses are used to introduce documents. And then you they weave, they weave the case. Then when they're ready, they say, Your Honor, we rest. And now the other side begins there. They, get, they can do their opening statement if they haven't already. They then put on their witnesses, call witnesses. The witnesses are used to introduce documents. Now, am I wrong? But I don't think there's a situation where you can just bring and say, judge, look at this. Judge, look at this. Judge, look at that. You I always use witnesses to introduce documents. I, I don't know if that's what you you do too, but I think maybe that's where I learned in trial techniques. You always use a witness to introduce your documents. If it's a photo, you have your client say, yes, I took that photo. Um, is this a true and accurate picture of what you saw when you took it? Yes. Has this been altered in any way? No. I just can't fling the photos at the judge. They're pay stubs. I say, you know, I'm showing you now what's been marked as Exhibit A. Is this your pay stub? Yes. And is, you know, this a true and accurate record of your pay for that period? Yes. That sort of thing. It's documents, documents, but always introduced by a witness. Would you say, do you, is that what you do? I, I would agree. I, I do that. 
but there's an exception whereby uh, both sides uh, stipulate and provide an advanced copy, a sneak preview, something the judge can have in hand prior to, and these may be pre-marked exhibits, exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, exhibit D, and both sides stipulate, yes, these are the financial affidavits. These are the pay stubs of the parties. Uh, these are the tax returns. And they're all presented to the judge in advance in what we may call a trial book. And then the j judge has a chance to look at a courtesy copy, we call it, of the documents prior to anyone saying anything. And that may actually go a long way towards uh, the judge having an idea already of how to rule on what's at issue. Now, you're bringing up something that it's always bothered me, but I think that's it's, it's common practice, too, is the other side sometimes will present the judge, and especially in the Zoom environment, where everything's being sent in by email to the judge, nothing's carried in in the courtroom. Both sides are now seeming to send in documents to the judge, saying these are courtesy copies of our exhibits. Here's a financial affidavit, my client's pay stub, his tax return, and in, in what can be an overwhelming dump of documents. And I've always wondered how much judges actually look at that stuff or if it's just good to have it there so that as we proceed with the hearing and we refer to it, now the judge can call it up immediately having it ready. I don't know if the judges go through that stuff in advance or wait for the hearing and then just have it ready to look at. I've experienced it both ways. And so I've had judges who have tell me from the onset, and usually a judge will tell either way. They'll say, counsel, uh, I've read all of, I've seen all of the documents, and uh, I have your courtesy copies. Thank you. Uh, I've had other judges that says, well, hey, you know, I've had these for five days. I have to confess, I didn't look at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. In fact, right. and in right. fact the, the, a judge, I've had a judge say, in fact, let me take a little, little recess right now. I'm going to go back and read uh, some material right now, and I'll come back in about 15 minutes. So court is on recess. I, I'm going to read it. Oh, and I'm coming back. I guess I have an example of like the coldest uh, court. If you want to say hot court, yeah. cold court, for whether judges read the stuff or not, the coldest court I've ever seen is we had a hearing and it was a big one for my client. It's about you know getting a child back. Hey, that where have you heard that before? But it was about getting a child back. And we came to the hearing and the judge had a small piece of paper in front of her with a pen and said, we stepped up and I, and she said, now, can you remind me what this is about? <laughs> and, and it was going to take a few notes about what the hearing was about. And I thought, oh, I sent in courtesy copies. She had stuff in advance. So that was a, it was a taken aback, a little disappointing. That is highly unusual. I think judges usually have, have at least breezed through or at least familiarized themselves with at least what the, the yes. hearing's about. Yes. Yes. So... And and we should at least let me just point out that judges have a very difficult job because what we're dealing with is judges who aren't familiar with the case have a lot of other cases. And yet here they're being called upon to make life changing decisions. It's a lot of pressure on a judge. So and I think we've said, but maybe we should say the hearing or trial is the point at which decisions get made a status, a pretrial conference case management is not where the entire case gets decided. That's not where people get their children back or we decide parenting time. It's where it's bumped along, you know, procedurally it's moved along. Now, have we got the documents exchanged or when do we need a trial date or statuses are for that. 
Um, now, at any point, people can agree, and that's called an agreed order. They can draw up an agreement and say, Your Honor, we've agreed on this upcoming holiday schedule. Yes, the divorce is still pending and it's not finished, but we have agreed on, for example, this small thing, uh, who's going to pay the house payments or what the summer what the uh, summer parenting time will be. And it's written up as an agreed order. Both sides agree, and the judge will enter that. And that can be done anytime. But aside from that, things get decided at hearings and trial. That's really how it's supposed to be. And uh, anyway, so the, the role of the judge is to hear the facts, hear the evidence, and figure things out under a lot of time pressure, right? They, they don't have, I mean, and they're not allowed to investigate or look things up on the internet or, or figure this out. They have to, in a sense, they're at the mercy of whoever brings the stuff. So there's a lot of emphasis on credibility. Does this witness sound believable? Um, In some sense, though, the and I was thinking about this recently, then the the role of of the attorney, the role that we have as advocates, Kevin, is to, in some sense, uh, kind of pre-digest the material to to or or to put it this way, kind of carve it up into bite sized pieces. And uh, so I, I like to be ready and I think one of my delights is also to be ready with uh, the applicable law. So I've got, I know what the statute is and I know the case law that applies uh, to a particular case. And I can say, uh, your honor, uh, this occurred in the uh, Manning case and the site can be found at, you know, uh, 643 Northeast second, 222. And, and, um, and of course, you know, ideally, I've, I've given some of that material in advance. So I've, I've listed my table of authorities. If there's a contested issue of law, and it's not just a matter of the facts. So if, if I if I find that my counterpart, the opposing counsel, uh, takes a different position on me and what the law provides, then I, I want to be ready as well with what the law says and kind of give the, the judge a, a leg up and say, well, judge, here, here's we're going to fight about in the law, how the law applies to this topic, and why I think that we our side prevails on that on that issue. One one way, you know, if as we're talking with you know with, with the civilians out there who may have to do their own hearing, um, how to structure this? One one basic structure is to do a timeline. Uh, I've had some success with that. Just write down the major events that led up to this. Like uh, if it's um, for example, a, a parenting time issue. Well, then uh, when was a child born? When did the party stop living together? What was the schedule up to a po- certain point? Then, for example, if it's a dispute about parenting time that arose after the father got a new girlfriend or he may, if you're representing him, you might, you are the boyfriend who wants more parenting time. You might have to say, well, during this period of time, this was the parenting time. Then there was an abrupt change when I announced that I was dating Susie yeah. <laughs> whatever. And, you know, step by step through the time. So it makes sense. There usually is, is a, a different things that happened. And judges like a story. They like to see, well, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And then using that as a framework, then you can tell which things that are important will kind of jump out at you if you can do a timeline. So often I'll have clients do a timeline and they'll put down 25 things they can think of. And I need five of those, but I'll just have them put down everything they can think of that happened 
month and year are close enough. April 2019 is fine. They don't know exact date. But that one way is to structure it chronologically to tell your story in order of time. Now, another, I guess, a variation of the uh, presentation, let's say that, Kevin, that I've prepared for a case and uh, I've, I've gotten my, let's say, chronological timeline, I'm ready. And I prepared my client, the witness, or other witnesses I may have. And then we start and the judge says, uh, I, I have some questions. And the judge... <laughs> <laughs> could it be good or bad when you it could be a good or bad thing when the yeah. judge says and the that, judge yeah. interjects and the judge kind of takes over the questioning and says, well, when did you separate? And when did the uh, mm-hmm. Susie move in? Because you see where I'm going. The, the, as the attorney, we're kind of scratching our heads and saying, let's see, uh, what does this, <laughs> what does this mean? That, why is the judge interested in this part of the case? And what do I need to be prepared mm-hmm. for next? Now that I don't need to ask all those questions now. <laughs> uh, well, it can be a sense. Yeah, I agree. There could be a sense of relief if you think, well, good. Now the judge is going to telegraph clearly what the yeah. judge is interested in. And that helps because you might be putting on this story, your story, you know, the, the story, the truthful story of your, what your client wants to say. And you could be missing the boat. Maybe the judge is looking at it a different way and wants to only know a couple of things. I had a hearing not too long ago, where I had put together a timeline in my in one of my papers that I presented to the judge, a, a response or whatever. And the judge came out, and one of the first things the judge said was, okay, I'm going to read off this timeline, see if you all can stipulate to it. In other words, can you agree to it? And essentially, he read my timeline out of my pleading. And this, then the party's this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And you all agree that's the timeline. And the other say, well, uh, yes, Your Honor. And I said, thinking it sounded familiar, I said, I think that does hit the highlights, uh, maybe a few minor details, but yes. Well, then that that was it. The gist of it was done as far as presenting the material. The judge had already read our timeline and said, well, okay, what else is there? And had let the other side argue their point, but then... That was it. Didn't want to hear from me and had already ruled in our favor. But it was just because we had a clear timeline in our in our response or in paperwork. So it showed me the value of simplifying it for the judge and, you know, not going too far right. off track. Right. So if we can, I think for our listeners, they need to know that a judge has limited time to figure things out. And if you can find a framework, usually like, you know, something like a chronological framework or there, there may be other ways to start it. Like uh, it could start with an event and then talk about the background of how that happened. Or- yeah, I think the other, the other way would be topics. And so rather than chronological, I think that uh, we're going to deal with the major topics of the uh, child support issue, the maintenance issue, the and, and we're going to go back and forth in time and any of these major topics, uh, the right. allocation judgment, the, you know, w- what we used to call child custody and, and um, now parenting time. So the topics kind of, depending upon the case, the topics kind of uh, determine what the questions will be. Well, then you're going to sound brilliant too, because a judge is going to hear that you're organized. You say, judge, before the court today, we have three issues. We have the issue of child support, decision-making, and parenting time. 
Now, addressing the child support issue, Joe's annual income is this, while Teresa's annual income is this. Joe has been paying this much for child support, but he just lost his, you know, that hit the child support issue. And then the judge can say, okay, let's bite that off and do that. And they'll love you for it because it's organized, right? So I like that topic uh, topic approach too, right? Especially when you have kind of distinct parts of the case and everything's on for today. Because sometimes people don't realize it's if it's about child support today, but it's not about decision making, then the judge wants to hear about child right. support. Right. Those other issues are, are for another day. And sometimes judges will stand up and uh, will will almost say, counsel, it's not before me today. But your honor, you got to understand this counsel. That's not before me today. Tell me about the child yeah. support issue. <laughs> and civilians should listen to that if the judge is nice enough to say, and it's a favor they're doing, if they say, well, that's not before me today. Okay, they're saving you trouble. Don't go there. Stick to what you're there for. It may be that you're there for child support. Stick to that. The judge will love you for it. But if you keep trying to talk about the care of feeding of pets or you know, who didn't come home on time or the child's parenting or school or other things like that, the judge may say, in a sense, they're thinking, why are you wasting my time? You're asking me to decide yeah. child support today. Yeah. Everything else, I'll have to wait for another day. So staying on topic, it looks like we're coming to the end of our time for part one of this episode 22. I'm attorney Barry C. Boykin. And I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in part two. 